This podcast is produced on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Cree, and other Indigenous peoples. We are mindful of broken covenants and the need to reconcile with all our relations. Together may we care for this land and each other, drawing on the strength of our mutual history of nation building through peace and friendship, being mindful of the ancestors and generations to come. Welcome to the Intersection Hub podcast, where we are making connections, fostering collaborations, and building community through candid conversations. I'm your host, Kimberly McKenzie, and I'm so glad you found us. Okay, so we may not be hanging out in Clubhouse that much anymore, but there is no denying that some very meaningful relationships were forged there. And today I am so pleased to be welcoming the lovely and generous Tanya Bhattacharya into conversation. Tanya helps purpose-driven women stand out while they stand up for their mission. She works with social impact entrepreneurs, mental health change makers, nonprofit founders, disruptors in philanthropy, and women who are making a difference, but aren't sure how to share their message without simply, quote, adding to the noise. Tanya helps these busy changemakers clarify their vision, story, and messages so that they can build impactful, deep relationships that will position them as thought leaders. And yes, raise revenue, but more importantly, drive forward positive change. Tanya and I have a rich conversation about the importance of helping everyone be successful, building community, and how to find your fire by overcoming self-limiting stories. Oh, and Tanya is also the uh, host of a fabulous podcast called The Campfire Circle. So when you're finished with this episode, be sure to check it out. Please join me in welcoming Tanya to the hub. Tanya, I am so grateful to welcome you into the hub. Thank you for making time. I'm really excited about our conversation, actually. Oh, me too. It's my pleasure. Thanks for this opportunity to be in community with you. Um, I always love chatting with you, whether it was like on Clubhouse way back in the day or just seeing each other on LinkedIn or having our coffee chats. This is going to be fun. You know what? I know that we met on Clubhouse and I forgot about that. And you reminded me because honestly, your LinkedIn presence and your email list and everything feels so intimate to me that I totally forgot about Clubhouse, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is so bizarre for me because I was such a 2021 Clubhouse fan. But me we'll too. But we'll yeah, there. maybe you know I think I might have left that back in 2021. But but what I will say is I feel like the that coming out right as I launched into entrepreneurship and left the nonprofit field as like a direct fundraiser was such a was such a game changer. I got to meet people like you from all over the world and really just um, know that I wasn't alone in my little apartment because, you know, mm-hmm. that was right in the midst of the pandemic, too. So mm-hmm. thank God for mm-hmm. that. Thank God. Yeah, for that. absolutely. It, all sorts of connections came out of that. Um, and one of the things that I really, really love about you as I get to know you better is that you share the same value as we do here in the hub at the intersection. And that is if you lift others, you will rise. Mm -hmm. And that value is permeated throughout all of your offerings, all of your conversations. I really feel like you truly believe that the key to your success is to elevate others. So, So I love that about you. But I wanted to start with you know, the beginning. Tell me, you mentioned a transition from the charity space to what you're doing now. 
How did you begin doing this work? Yeah, that's a great question. I love I love sharing stories, you know, and and first of all, before I even get into that, thank you for really noticing that. I do believe as like a core value, a core belief that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. I've seen it happen again and again and again. I think society has has um, t- tried to teach us the opposite in a lot of ways, like spoken and unspoken. But once we, um, you know, start to let go of that, we can realize how how mistaken that is, because really we are independent. We 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 are so interconnected to each other. And so anyway, I thank you for, thank you for naming that. I love that. And then, okay. So before we get into that, it's also this idea, <laughs> this false idea of competition between organizations, between women, and the, the uh, women who I am most drawn to right now in this phase of my life are people like you. And mm-hmm. I have other friends, Cindy Wegman, Heather yeah. Nelson, Ann Murphy, like just so many other wonderful entrepreneurial women who live it. They don't just say it, they do it, you know? You've got to live it. Cause you know, I think that if the VAD value isn't embodied, but you speak it out loud, but you can, you're noticeably not leading into collaboration. I think it's noticed. I think that people are very perceptive. I think people can mm-hmm. pick up on that. So you really have to be working on it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Cause you know, what I will say is sometimes jealousy are like, uh, is it jealousy? I guess it's jealousy does start to like tingle up a little bit. My friend Mallory Erickson did a great LinkedIn mm-hmm. post about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and when that happens, I think you just have to notice, notice it and realize, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And just what remember that. Yeah. What is it yeah. about that? What yeah. are you feeling that way about this? Exactly. Yeah. Like be curious about it, right? Yeah. And then remember at the end of the day, like that's not actually me. Like that's not my innate self. That's like what society has instilled in me. That's like the 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 protective response that's been instilled but that's not that's not actually me and then as you can start to really like sit with that jealousy you can begin to think oh wait like that's silly yeah. <laughs> that's silly well, it's, it's a shift happens right because then when you get back into your values so that jealousy for a lot of people is not aligned with their values okay so where's that disconnect happening what's the discord here oh, the discord is, I'm not jealous that she had that opportunity. I don't know how to lean into that for myself. Mm. Maybe there's something to be learned from it, right? And that brings us exactly to what you do. You say your purpose, I want to get this right, so I'm reading it. I help purpose-driven women stand out as they stand up for their mission. And, And this is a nice segue from this, you know, sometimes there's a tendency for a lot of women, we're so good at playing small, right? Mm. And if we are feeling envious or like somebody's had an opportunity that maybe we couldn't, didn't have or weren't able to take advantage of, mm. I don't know about your history. From my perspective, I would just turtle. I will just shrink away mm. and go, okay, the playing field is full. There's no room for me here. Mm. And you help women do exactly the opposite. Mm. So tell me about that. How did you yeah. get into this work? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds good. So, yeah. So um, my career before I started my own business was that of being a fundraiser. I was a nonprofit fundraiser, an executive director. And the organization that I represented and really, uh, you know, cheerleaded was a program that helped women, pregnant women and their children get sober from the family disease of addiction. Mm. And I started there when I was like 21 years old as my first job out of college. Like I was the assistant to the development assistant kind of a thing. You know what I mean? So it was my role to find impact stories. And so I would sit with our patients 
and ask them to kind of tell me a little bit about their story and, you know, kind of try to gather testimonials and whatnot for grant reports and events and all that kind of stuff. But very quickly, it became something a lot deeper than that, because as I would sit with our patients and they would tell me their story, you know, nine times out of 10, it was very much rooted and tangled up with their, with the stigma of addiction, with their trauma, with their self-limiting beliefs, with their guilt, with their shame. And it was a story that was still very much a negative story about themselves. And mm -hmm. through that work, I sort of intuitively figured out that we were, we could go through a process by which we instead change the focus of that story on their courage and the resilience and their decision to change their life and their, their, the future that they were building for their families, like all of that kind of good stuff. And so that was pretty amazing. I love doing that work, but, um, the long-term effect of that, you know, I was at that organization for 12 years. And so I got to see some of those patients become alumni, become role models, become, you know, just incredible advocates of recovery in the community and nationally too. And I saw how the ones that had a different story about themselves were able to advocate for themselves differently, like in their jobs, in their families, just in life in general. And so what that experience really showed me was that the, the story that we have about ourselves mm -hmm. so radically impacts the way other people see us as well. And so that taught me really the power. It started teaching me the power of storytelling. I mean, there's so much there from so many different angles, but Kind of similarly, you know, 12 years passed, it was 2020, the pandemic was happening, you know, the, the triple pandemic, if you will, the quadruple, the, just the world was really tough. And mm -hmm. as I looked around and saw the helpers, the nonprofit founders, the executive directors, the social, the social impact entrepreneurs, the, the, the you know, heart-driven board members and volunteers, so many of them who were really in the trenches, the ones who had the lived experience and the issues that they were working on solving, they just weren't necessarily at the table, right? They didn't have the platform or the voice to affect change in the ways that they deserve to be able to. And I took it back to my memories of working with the patients to write their stories and I kind of figured and realized one of the missing pieces to that, like, yes, there's all this societal stuff in um, women, women of color, you know, different people from different um, underestimated communities, not like not being given that that platform and are actually being restricted from those platforms. But also there's inner work that we can do as the individuals to really build up our stories, to really tap into our experience and start to build that brand as a thought leader, build that personal brand um, that will help us affect change, right? Drive change and raise revenue. So what I'm hearing you say is that it starts with rewriting the story we're telling ourselves in our head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sometimes has been like almost implanted or given to us. I want to be very like intentional about sharing that self-limiting stories that we have aren't necessarily or almost ever like innate we weren't born with them but they were they were like dripped into us right mm -hmm. like a poison by society a society and a and a structure that i think in like benefits from keeping us kind of quiet and not at the table you know because then nothing changes about the patriarchy <laughs> that's where we're going now <laughs> let's do that in another podcast <laughs> So, so when we have, when you're working with somebody who, who has, who is playing small, who hasn't, you know, all that you just said is you help people stand in their power mm. by rewriting the story in their head. 
And then when they can find that power to serve their community, they can have a greater impact, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So how do you approach how, what would you say to somebody who says the playing field is full my story won't add value. Mm. I'm just going to quietly needle away over here in this corner I'm, and, and keep playing small. How would you yeah. shift that mindset? Yeah, I think one of the first things to do to shift that mindset is to find something that that person or that, that you, the listener, if this is you, feels so strongly about that it, it almost propels you forward into mm. the limelight. Because, you know, one of the things I always say is, when you get into the limelight, that that light reflects back onto your vision and your mission. So I think finding something that you're so passionate about changing, like finding the problem in the world that you're so on fire about solving, I think that's part of the key. Because if that doesn't exist, it's going to be really hard to motivate yourself to get out of that comfy, that comfy security blanket, you know? And I get it. Like, it's very comfy in the security blanket. It's much it feels much safer there. But when you, when there's, when you have a stake in the ground, um, it becomes almost impossible to just stay quiet and like silent and dark in the security blanket. Right. So I think the first part is finding that piece that's going to drive you forward, that vision that you have for a changed world. And then there's so many other things. I think community is a really important part. I don't think that we can change make alone. I think finding, and this, this harkens back to what you're saying earlier, finding that community of aligned people, right? Maybe they don't have the exact same vision as you, but they have an aligned vision, right? Like they can, they, you can buy into each other's visions and by working together to make those visions happen, you are stronger together, you know, collaboration always over competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of my mindset work. You know, you talk about playing, playing big and playing small. There's a book that I love that was a big influence for me by Tara Moore. It's called, is it called playing big? I think it's called playing big. And one of the exercises that I love that I learned about there is that, you know, we all have our inner critics. Like, I think we're all very familiar with our inner critic or itty bitty shitty committee. Like we can just hear that voice. It's like right there, but we also have an inner mentor and that, that voice is quieter, right? The inner mentor whispers to us. It's not Mm -hmm. like that loud, that loud, annoying voice of the inner critic, (laughs) but, but she's there, Mm -hmm. you know, she's there. And so I think it's about sometimes before moving very quickly forward into the, into the direction of your vision, it's about like slowing down at first and getting really in touch with that inner mentor and building a relationship with that inner mentor. In my coaching work through the Coactive Training Institute, which is where I'm getting my certification, we call it a leader within. Ah, I love it. One of the first things we do with clients whose saboteur has taken over is just figure out how do you turn up the volume on the leader within, like really get to know that leader. Who are they? What are they wearing? What do they look like? Mine is a mountain mama bear. I have a picture Ah this her up there and it's like okay now what would what would my leader within say what my mountain mama bear say so I really really identify with that and it works it absolutely evokes transformation but I also like something else that you said when you were talking about figuring out the fire you know what's the Mm. fire in your gut the change that you just have to drive forward in the world, the problem you want to fix with your voice. And the beautiful thing about that, Tanya, is that makes the focus external. It's Mm -hmm. not about your ego. It's not about you promoting yourself in a selfish way. It's about being so fired up about something. 
you can't not speak to it. That's exactly right. That's a great distinction. Yeah, that's a great distinction. And I remember, you know, um, I would spend a lot of time with fundraisers, right? When I was a fundraiser and it, it could be scary to ask for money. It's a, it can mm-hmm. be a scary thing. And so I've been through a lot of fundraising trainings. I went and actually got to see Lynn twist speak. Um, she did a training in New York on the soul of money. I've been to a lot of fundraising trainings. And at the end of the day, I think one of the things that it boils down to is like, it's about the mission, right? It's not about, you're not asking for you. You're asking for something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm no longer like a actual, like technically a fundraiser, um, I think some of those same, um, values, you know, definitely carry through in this work of thought leadership, because whatever it is that you're working towards is greater than you. You still have a mission, right? It might not be an organization, might not be a nonprofit specifically, but it's a, it's a greater, it's a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so really figuring out and articulating what is your purpose? What is your yeah. purpose in the world with all of the lived experiences that you have up until now? And that's such a powerful exercise because I think, you know, um, so many of us have been in a conference room with the big sticky notes everywhere and the facilitator doing this for an organization, doing this for a nonprofit or a, or a volunteer group. But so rarely do we take the resources to really sit and do that with ourselves. But in actuality, like we are all change making entities also. So I think having that, that GPS that comes from creating that vision and that purpose, I think is really, really key, especially in these times when it's just, it's very easy to fall into despair. I think just with, uh, you know, it's heavy, everything, world it's is heavy. heavy. <laughs> world yeah. is heavy. but that speaks to another core value that we share. And that is purpose before profit. Yeah. And so yeah. even if you're an entrepreneur, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be financially successful. We can pursue a purpose-driven life and live with financial security. Mm. But I think mm. that comes after, after you've really figured out your purpose, your why, why are you doing this? Absolutely. And it's not that, you know, revenue can't come without that, but I think once you tap into your purpose and it's so crystal clear and you're, and you're sharing in a way that attracts other people to what you do, because Mm -hmm. by sharing your story, because so often I think that the purpose that we have is somehow related to our own story. Either we have lived experience in that thing or friends or family members went through that thing, or we, we are so well-equipped to serve the person that we once were, or who has been through a similar journey as us. So I think when we share that story and get really clear on that purpose. I think it's almost like physics. It's like science. Like we just naturally attract people to us and whether they become clients or whether they become donors or whatever it is, that type of audiences, I think what you're right. Once you're so crystal clear on that purpose that it almost just like, it just like, it's what you become known for. I think there's no, I think of, of course revenue comes, but that, that, um, that, uh, what word am I looking for? That, that order is important. Like that's even why on my like LinkedIn profile, or I think I just changed it, but essentially it's like, I think thought leadership, the outcome of it is that it drives change and it raises revenue, but in that order, right. Mm -hmm. In that order, I think the change comes first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was working with organizations as fundraisers and as a consultant, I mean, as a consultant, the very first well, in all of them, the very first question when someone would come and say, we need to raise this much money. The next question is what for? Mm. This is not just a budget line. What are you going to do with it? Right. What's the impact? Yeah. What is the impact? Yeah. I love all this because it is about human connection mm. and service. Um, 
Tell me about radical empathy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> radical empathy. Oh, I love this phrase. Actually, there's a quote by Isabel Wilkerson from Cast, the book Cast. Um, I don't want to butcher it, so I'm going to pull it up. But it's okay. a very beautiful quote that I think that just... Um, because I think I was, while you're pulling that up, I think I was listening to one of, was it one of your podcasts? I, uh, I, I'm not sure, but somebody asked about what your word, maybe it was a LinkedIn post, what, what the word of the year is. And mine uh, was compassion. And when I called on compassion, I, I did a, an online survey on how much self-compassion do I practice? And I was horrible. It was embarrassingly Mm. awful. And that was that really flipped a switch for me that before I can be compassionate to others, I really should practice it with myself. And, yeah. uh, and then reading the and as soon as I did that, everything changed. But right. Uh, yeah, it was it's incredible. Um, and so this idea of radical empathy, I'm so curious about. Yeah. I love this. I love this concept of radical empathy. It, it, it's not my word of the year. My word of this year is emergence, but you know, um, mm -hmm. I do love the phrase radical empathy. And so I, you know, the, the book cast is such a, well, such a, such a great and informational book. It's sometimes it can be a hard read, but mm -hmm. um, she, she speaks to radical empathy and I want to read her quote, which is radical empathy means putting in the work to educate oneself and to listen with a humble heart, to understand another's experience from their perspective, not as we imagine we would feel radical empathy is not about you and what you would what you think you would do in a situation you have never been in and perhaps never will it is the kindred connection from a place of deep knowing that opens your spirit to the pain of another as they perceive uh -huh. it. So I thought that is just such a beautiful, beautiful way of describing it. And I think that this, I think that empathy is extremely important in this work of, of change. Well, of course of change making, but even of, of branding and thought leadership and storytelling, because, um, it's about, it's about community, right? It's about, it's about um, knowing that you can never really walk in somebody else's shoes, but being able to, to listen and, 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 and practice togetherness, right? Practice community, practice togetherness um, through that work. Yeah. You know, the beautiful thing about that is that it shuts down the oh yeah that happened to me once let me tell you about it yes right yes yes and then when you can really hold space for someone else by putting yourself on the side for a little bit um there's an opportunity to just really go deeper so that's how you work with your clients <laughs> <laughs> approach with your clients sign me up for that <laughs> oh my gosh well you know what came up for me um as you were sharing that is i think that there's a distinction between an audience and a community and mm -hmm. i think so often we're trying to build an audience which is very right. much like a one-way communication it's me and my thought leadership content going out into the world and that's it but i think building a community is is 
rooted in radical empathy, right? Because then it's not about you. Like maybe you're the convener, maybe you're the creator of the space, maybe you're pulling people together, but really you're not the, it's not about like somebody at the podium anymore. It then becomes that campfire circle. It becomes that community that I think that's really where the magic happens. Yes, 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 yes. There's somebody that was a really irritating salesman at a furniture store once who would say a thousand percent. I think in 15 minutes, he said it a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself a thousand percent. (laughs) But you talked about that on a recent podcast um, where you talked about referral partners Mm. and you talked about looking at that chain, you know, the, the services of the community and really getting to know folks. So who's going to come before you, who's going to come after you and build relationships with those people, which I love. Oh, that was so brilliant. And I can't take, I can't take credit for that. That was, that was all Jordan Gill who has the program done in a day. She teaches, um, folks how to create a one day intensive. Um, and so I went through her program and one of the most There are a lot of amazing things, but her whole concept of referral partners was really, really incredible. And for any entrepreneur or even any nonprofit professional, really anybody who's listening, I think could get something out of this because so often when we're trying to, like I'm thinking, I'm taking it back to nonprofit life, right? And we would always want more donors. And so we'd go to our board members and our volunteers and be like, do you know anyone, you know, do you know anyone you can introduce to us? I'm I'm being a little, I'm being a little much for point, but you know, it was kind of like that. We were just always trying to get people connected, but how can we approach it from a different angle so that we're, it's actually like a value add on every side, right? Um, First of all, no, you weren't overemphasizing that because that's exactly how it was. (laughs) Yeah. How it is. (laughs) But I had a, I had a thought that was much smarter than that, but I had to say that one. Um, (laughs) Anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, that's all really good. That's all really good. So how do you approach that? Is there a system or a step? I, I mean, asking for a friend. <laughs> you learn so much by having conversations with people who are smarter than you. So, um, so that's what I love about doing this. So how do you, how do you approach that work? Yeah. Well, you know, I very much took Jordan's advice. And so I try to think about like who, so I'm a thought leadership strategist, right? So I try to think about who comes before me in the process. So who might become before me in the process is somebody who really does like market research for folks. Like I know a couple of, you know, people who really have specialized in working with, you know, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, social impact people to um, really interview their audience to find the key messages and pain points that their audience are struggling with, and then provide like a, you know, 40 page report on everything that they would need to know. Um, So somebody who is going to make the investment in that is going to want to also be known for being a solution to those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. right? And so that person who does the market research, that would be a natural referral then to me. Whereas for me, somebody who works with me on thought leadership after we're done, they might be more interested in like starting a podcast or they might be interested in, let me think, maybe having a brand photo shoot because they're just getting, they're just stepping into their, their, you know, creating that budding platform. So Mm -hmm. then it it behooves me to know a couple of great brand photographers or podcast managers or people that I can refer to them. And it creates this really beautiful ecosystem, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you go scuba diving or snorkeling, you see this coral reef, like they, they are an ecosystem. They also, they all um, have a, like a, 
like a symbiotic relationship to each other. So I think that we can create the same things. And as we become entrepreneurs or, or funders, you know, and that harkens back to like, you know, I mean, I love Vule. And so his, his, his article about the nonprofit hunger game still rings so true. I mean, I think he wrote that like seven years ago, but it's like, instead of playing in the nonprofit hunger games, how mm -hmm. can we get to know some of the organizations that do similar work that, but that maybe people would be involved with that before they get involved with us. Like maybe, you know, taking it back to the example of the addiction treatment center, um, maybe before somebody finds out about that work, they would initially get involved at a children's hospital that has, that has an inpatient psych unit, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're just getting, they're just get dipping their toe into the world of mental health and, and nonprofits. And then maybe next they'll be interested in what we have to do. And then maybe be a, a referral partner for us, you know, taking it back to again that nonprofit um, would be individuals that get involved with us might also have an interest in supporting women or people who have been impacted by intimate partner violence, right? So then it would behoove me to know nonprofits that I can refer them to to get involved with. So then again, it creates that like funder ecosystem, mm -hmm. but it strengthens all of us. Like we mm -hmm. all become better. It's not like we lose the donation, like we just get even more involved donors. Am I, does that make sense? It makes a, a thousand percent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does because um, in season one of this podcast, uh, philanthropists that I did some work with when I was consulting came on. And if folks want to go back and look, her name is Isabel Ralston. Uh, and she um, had a wealth event and, and became a philanthropist. And she wanted just to donate to protect nature in Canada. And having worked with a lot of land trusts and serving on the board of a land trust, working with her on your land trust is one thing, but she also wants to do something nationally. She's, she's got way more money than any small one charity can do, have any impact with. So helping her find other organizations to make that social investment in is a gift. And it just boosts up loyalty. Right. That's exactly right. And, and impacts the world in a really, really beautiful yeah. way. Yeah. 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 There was a quote on your website. This work taught me I am perfectly qualified to lead and deserve to take up space. Mm, I remember who said that my friend, Andy, my friend, Andy, who happens to be the founder of an amazing nonprofit that helps girls overcome uh, cyberbullying. It's called the Bloom Foundation. And she is a beautiful example of this because, and you know, I, so I interviewed her on my podcast. So I feel like it's, this is, this is just open information, but she um, has shared that she herself went through the, the story of being cyberbullied when she and I went to school together, actually, UC Irvine. And right around the time that we were in college, all of these anonymous websites popped up where like you could essentially like just write a message like Tanya Bhattacharya discuss and then people would just let write like horrible things you know because it was anonymous right and so that happened to her and it was a really really traumatic event in her life but um she took that experience and turned it into one of beauty in that she took how she healed from that and now teaches that to others through her nonprofit organization Yet, as she would navigate the world and maybe ask for funding or, you know, just navigate the world as a nonprofit founder, you know, she and I have talked a lot about like her, her, again, that inner critic or that itty bitty shitty committee that keeps saying like, who are you to do this, mm -hmm. which is so interesting. And so, um, 
I'll just say interesting because really she's the perfect person to do this. She's the perfect person to do this. You know, I would always, to me, the most important thing is lived experience above all else. When I'm hiring a coach, when I'm hiring like a a service provider, I don't really care where they went to college. I don't care what degrees they got. I don't care about all of that stuff. I don't, you know, what I care about is their story and whether or not they have an intimate understanding of this, of this journey and this transformation. If the, and if they can then provide a solution forward, um, derived from their lived experience, you know, but so often we forget, or we don't think our lived experience is important, or we don't think that it counts, but we it, compare it, really it does. to someone else. We compare it to mm-hmm. someone who maybe had a harder time from our perspective than we did. Oh, and that happens too, for sure. I call that the trauma Olympics. It's like, if the we trauma didn't have- <laughs> Olympics, that's brilliant. <laughs> that, and that happens too. It's like, if we you know, if we have some level of privilege and didn't like bottom out, we feel like we can't share our story because someone else out there always had it worse. But the reality is like your story is relatable to somebody else who was in that same situation that you were. So share it, you know, share it. It doesn't, um, it doesn't negate anyone else's story for you to share yours. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a beauty pageant in grade 11 and, um, there was like this cohort of 12 girls. It was in Cranbrook, British Columbia, and we were called Sam Steele's Sweethearts. <laughs> you can Google it. <laughs> it was a thing. I still have the dress. But there was this whole sort of finishing school aspect to it. So this was 1984. So the world was different then. But there was a finishing school aspect to it. And we had to learn how to eat in a fine dining restaurant and how to make a speech. And I learned a lot of things there. But one of the things that was a mantra um, that the leader of this group just drilled into us was this phrase, just as good as no better than. And that's really stuck with me and something that I've taught my kids, you know, I mean, my mother used to always say, your vanity is showing, your vanity is showing. So that was my saboteur, right? Teaching me that if I'm asserting myself, I'm not being humble. Yeah. And there's always that tension there, but that speaks to what we were talking about before. If you're focusing on your fire and your purpose, then it's not, you're not being arrogant. That's right. Story, right. That's exactly right. Because it's for a greater purpose. And it's still, it still is true that you're, what if, what was it? Tell me again. No, just as than, good as, just as good as, and no, no better, better than. than. Right. And that still rings true. Even if you're mm. getting out there as the expert in your space, sure. because you're in your swim lane, right? You're in your swim lane. Yeah. So yeah. how do you figure out the lane? Hmm. Figuring out the lane is definitely a foundational piece of it. And sometimes people know exactly what their lane is. They come to me and they're like, this is, this is, I've been on fire on this since I was like five years old. And sometimes that is very easy. And sometimes people don't know exactly what their lane is. And sometimes that has to emerge, right? Sometimes they have to go out and like start doing this work at some level to realize what their lane is. Because I think sometimes you have to be given opportunities to realize, no, that's not really like what I want to do, yeah. you know, or no, that's not quite it. It, 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 it harkens, or I keep using that word. I never use the word harken, but I think I've said it like five times on this call. It's so weird. Um, but it, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So what were you going to say? What brilliant thing were you going to throw down there? That 
Oh, what it was I going to say? Justice yeah, Perez, no better than. Oh, man. What was I going to say? Hold on. It's going to come back to me. It's going to come back to me. It's going <laughs> to come back to me. Oh, it reminds me of kind of like, you know, how they tell entrepreneurs and service providers, like, you've got to find your niche. You've got to oh, yeah. find your niche. Lane, right. Like, I, late, I think there's some truth to that, but like, you can't. It's not like you come out the womb like this is my niche. You have right. to play with it, right? You have to. When I started my business, I thought I was going to just work with fundraisers, you yeah. know, and that has changed very much, you know, uh, yeah. to to something different. But I wouldn't have known that without getting in the arena and like playing with it and figuring it out. So yeah. I think, yeah, totally. When I started yeah. my coaching business, when I transitioned from consulting to just co just coaching, um, just in quotations. Anyway. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be women because that's how I got into the charitable sector, but half right. of my clients are gay men. Yeah. So like, I don't know who my, somebody says, who, who's your ideal client? I, I don't, I'm figuring that out. I don't know. The practice is too new. I don't know. Right. And honestly, so am I, I think you, I think that you definitely don't have to have it figured out, you know, in the first year, two year, three year, I think, I think that slowly emerges and gets more and more crystal clear. But I that's really your word for the year is emergence. It is. And that's what's so great about it is we evolve as humans. We are not the same person we were 15, 20 years ago. Every five years in my life, there is a shift. There, yeah. there needs to be a values exercise. There needs to be a, who am I becoming today conversation, mm. which is an article I'm in the middle of writing because I'm so fascinated with the fact that we do emerge a new, it's kind of like, kind of makes me feel like, oh, now we're going really woo woo, but um, the Phoenix in Harry Potter. Oh, yes. And and the emergence, like that moment where he just burns up and Harry's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and, and the phoenix rises again, right? So we go through oh. these ebbs and flows of life and we're going to rise. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much into agile, slam it down, throw it to the wall, see if it sticks. If it doesn't stick, move on and do something else. You've learned something, right? Oh. And with it, and with each iteration that happens, it gets more and more um, complex and helpful and beautiful and expansive. And you know, I, I don't know if you are familiar with the book Emergent Strategies by um, Adrian Murray Brown. I, it's back there somewhere. Okay, good. I think I might see it. I think I, I like recognize it with the pink and the blue and the white. So her definition of of emergence is one that I really like, which is really that it's it's kind of where like very. Uh, complex interactions emerge from very simple, simple mm -hmm. interactions. I think I kind of got that backwards, but essentially little, simple daily habits and interactions and relationships then lead to these large um, movements, mm -hmm. you know? And so we see that in nature, we see that in community organizing, and mm -hmm. we can see that for ourselves as we grow and evolve, right? Like, like Fox of Phoenix. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with organizations, any organization, you know, any really good generalist consultant or fundraiser will help an organization see that it's the tiny little tweaks every day right. that will revolutionize an organization 18 months from there, you know? Mm. 
James, James Clear did such a good job of really painting a solid picture of that in Atomic Habits and his example where he talks about like a plane, I'm going to get the cities wrong, but like a plane leaving LA on the way to New York, but like, it's just like, it's one, it's like just slightly one degree going in the wrong direction. Well, over that, that those 3000 miles, it won't end up in New York. It'll end up like, you know, hundreds of miles South and in, in DC. And so it's the same thing with an organization, just like you said, it's like the tiny, most in, like teeny teeny tiny things that you change that really result in the places that you're trying to get whether you're talking about an organization or yourself mm -hmm. like a mindset habit or something like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. well bringing it back to thought leadership right and and the transition that folks make many many folks get to a point in their career where they have to do something bigger they have mm -hmm. to reach out further they have to they they're compelled to do that and Every piece of lived experience all along the way leads us to that moment. Yeah, that's that's so true. Oh my gosh. I just need to pause on that for a second. That's really important, I think. And I think that sometimes when that um, calling comes, we can feel it, like we know it, you know, mm -hmm. like we know it. Like sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, how'd you know that, uh, you know, your husband was the one? And it's like, I just knew it. Like I just, it, it was just so clear to me. And I think that similar things ha happens when that calling is like knocking on your, on your shoulder. Like it's time, right? It's time you're ready, right? Like you, you are the one you've been waiting for kind of thing. Yeah, it's big. It's, ex it's exciting. It's, it's, it flows. It's, I don't know. Someone's going to listen to this and resonate with it. <laughs> I can't just speak out on it because there is, there is power in changing the story in your mind. There's power in sharing your story with the world and it helps people and it creates connection. So one, one of my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say one of my friends, Keisha, uh, we did this work together and she is now, um, you know, she made it, she had a calling, right. And then she told me like, thank you for helping me realize that it wasn't just that I have a calling, but that I am the one who is called. And mm -hmm. to me, that says it all, because I think that it's like, we have a responsibility once we get to a certain point, like our lived experience, our education, like our, ev everything that we have been through culminates in something and creates a mosaic that we can then mm -hmm. step into. Oh, I love the mosaic because you took the campfire thing. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, for those who are listening, I had already told Tanya this, that my coach had this image as I was talking about my practice and what I wanted to do with it. She had said, oh, Kimberly, I'm imagining a campfire. And my response was, damn it, that's already taken. <laughs> Tell us about this campfire circle, because that analogy, having sat in around hundreds of campfires and loving them, um, Tell me what inspired you to go with that branding? Cause it's so strong. Oh, thank you for saying that. First of all, cause I have somebody recently was like campfire circle. Like that's a weird name for a marketing podcast. And I, and I, and I get where that's coming from because so many people who are, you know, self, you know, marketing experts or whatever are always like, be clear, not cute. But sometimes you just have to go for the thing that make, brings you joy because that is going to be powerful enough to, to carry it through. So anyway, my podcast is, the, is called The Campfire Circle. And the reason for that is with that podcast, I'm really trying to change that like 
dominant image of the boardroom table as being the ultimate space of leadership, because I think many of us have been excluded at the boardroom table. We've been harmed at the boardroom table. We've been like, it's just, it's just not a great, it doesn't feel good to be there, you know, <laughs> to, like end of the day, it doesn't feel good. And so instead, if we can replace that with a campfire circle, which to me is where we huddle together in community for warmth, right? Where there's always room. There's only so many seats at a camp, at a boardroom table, but there's, uh, there's you always, always make the fire bigger. Yeah. You can always make it bigger. You can always stoke it to be as large as it needs to be. And of course, that's where we share our stories, which I think is, mm. you know, such a, such a powerful tool for leadership and affecting change. Right. So yeah, it's, it's really about the campfire circle. And then from that comes other like activations, right? Like I launched a little follow-up community for my clients. Um, like it's a little membership in circle that, which is kind of like mighty networks, but different. And it's called the kindling community because to oh! me, like <laughs> those people are the people who questioned your, those are New York marketing firms. They've right. never been camping, camping in their life. Like there you go. Set them there aside. That's not who you're talking to anyway, but the kindlings, what is it? The kindling, what? It's the kindling community. And the reason for that is like, when you look at a break, like a big, big big, amazing fire. Like that doesn't, again, it's about emergence, right? Because how mm -hmm. does that emerge? It's from tiny pieces of kindling mm -hmm. put together. So to me, yeah. that's like a nod to the, um, to the practice of thought leadership, which is the habits that we need to have the small interactions that we have on a daily basis that then results in sparking a brave platform. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of a nod to that, right. It's a nod to that because thought did leadership camp, doesn't happen overnight. You camp? Have you like, did you spend a lot of time around campfires? I have spent a lot of time around fires, like fireplaces, not so much camping, but, um, but I do love the feel of a campfire. There's something, well, I, I've spent a lot of time around bonfires. I'm a, I'm a Southern California girl. So oh, that's really, yeah, well, that's yeah a lot of bonfires. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on, yeah the beach, it really is. on the beach, it really on the beach, on the beach, beach. Huntington oh. beach. Yep. Yep. In Canada, we have Tofino, which is yeah. north up there and they have, they're known for rogue campfires on the beach. Oh, wow. Okay, I have to do this to you. First of all, I could talk to you all day and maybe we will, but people aren't going to want to listen that long. But, um, <laughs> the good thing is it's a podcast so they can just pause it and pick it up later. But um, I'm going to ask you, I have, to, I have to do this as we wrap up. Um, what's your big vision for the future? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now I know how it feels when I ask other people for like, oh, it's a big question, you know, <laughs> it is a big question. it's a good question. It is. And, and, you know, really, it's, it's like I said, it's where it all starts, right? It's where it all starts. And sometimes I get into the fall into the trap of thinking my vision isn't unique enough, but that is such a trap because it doesn't have to actually be unique because I think that the best vision is one that can be picked up and leaned in with a lot of different people who also love that vision. Right. Mm -hmm. And so really my, my vision, I think the imagery of the vision is the campfire circle. It's about changing the, it's about changing leadership so that it's more embodied, accessible, so that people who have traditionally been overlooked and underestimated and marginalized, um, have access to be able to be those leaders and build communities that, you know, bring us forward to the best possible version of the future. You know, they have the tools to be able to shape a just future. Um, yeah. The tools to shape a just future. Mm -hmm. That's really 
on point for this moment. Oh, isn't it? Because really, you know, this is, again, something that uh, I, I credit Adrienne Marie Brown for, but I heard her talk about how we're really living in a battle of the imaginations right now. That's what we're experiencing, because right now we all live in somebody else's imagination. Mm-hmm. It's the imagination of, you know, whatever you want to call it, the dominant, the dominant forces, our founding fathers. I don't know what you want to call it, but whoever designed and imagined the reality that we're living in now, everything that we see around it here is it's like on purpose. It was put here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we can imagine our way out of it, but it's going to take strong visions. And then it's going to take the, the leadership ability, the embodied leadership ability to get us towards that imagined vision. Right. Mm -hmm. But we can shape it however we want. Mm -hmm. Other people did. It's how we ended up here, but we're yeah. seeing that we're seeing thought there's there's a I, I like to think, what I'm noticing is that leaders like yourself are rising to the mm-hmm. moment yeah it's it's yeah. happening mm-hmm. and um and we need to continue to come together to to drive that change forward and keep lifting and inspiring each other to do that work because uh, mm-hmm. there's enough room for everybody at the campfire. That's right. That's if right. this conversation were to end right now, what would be left unsaid that you think we should say? <laughs> the first time I tried that question out, what do you think? It's not bad. I love the question. I really, really, really do love the question. So what um, did we miss? You know, I, I feel like this has been a beautiful conversation. I don't know if we've missed anything. I think, you know, um, I think that this was a conversation that we that we needed to have at this moment. And I think, you know, a couple of months from now, we might have a different conversation. And that's great, too. Well, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go. So (laughs) I'm here. I'm here. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk about their thought leadership or their emergence? Yeah. So my website is lumosmarketing.co.co. And so you talked about Fox the Phoenix. So Lumos, of course, is a nod to the illumination spell from Harry Potter. Um, which I love for many reasons. One of which, if you look really at the canon, is that oftentimes Lumos, the spell, is used to illuminate unseen doorways and entrances, which is, I think, this work is really all about. Um, so my website, or you can always find me on LinkedIn. That really is my platform of choice. That's my playground. So you can just find me under my name, Tanya Bhattacharya, on LinkedIn. So yeah, those are the two places. We'll put, we'll put both of those links in the show notes. And have you tried a LinkedIn Live yet? Have you jumped in to do that? You know what I have, and I almost did yesterday impromptu, and then I haven't quite figured out because you still need to use a third-party tech to to fix to to make that happen. So, mm-hmm. so not yet, so not yet. But I mean, it's I'm sure it's just right around the corner. I'm going to do it. We're going to watch for it. We'll cool. watch for it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us in the hub. It's been wonderful to have you here. Oh, it's been great. It's been it's been really really fabulous being here. You ask great questions. I really appreciate you. <laughs> Tanya, thank you so much for joining us in the hub. It is always such a joy to be in conversation with you. And dear listener, thank you for spending your time here. 
Remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that more people can join the conversation. And if you have ideas for future episodes, or you'd like to talk to me about other aspects of my coaching work, I would love to hear from you. So you can reach me at Kimberly Canada um, across social media channels or on the website intersectionhub.ca. See you next time.